So we've now come to part three of this series, and we're covering the life of Abu Bakr anhu. And when I say life, really what I mean are, are three qualities of his, because if we were to try to cover his life, it would probably take, you know, a thorough review of his life would take 10 or 15 sessions, because there's just so much to learn from him. But we're trying to cover in three sessions the three phases of his life. And this final phase we've come to now is this phase of Abu Bakr anhu as a leader. As a leader. So let me just recap the first two sessions. The first session we mentioned how he was the facilitator. And we use this term in particular because of two roles that he played early in his Islam. The first was that he facilitated deen for people and brought people toward the Prophet and they accepted Islam. And secondly, he facilitated the freedom of people because he was the initial emancipator who freed slaves that were being oppressed because of their Islam. So he facilitated the well-being and the deen of so many early Muslims. And as a result, he racked up so much in his own account because the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever guides toward good gets the reward of that person as well. So Abu Bakr guided so many people and he, let's say he enabled and facilitated so many people, prominent people toward success like Uthman and Bilal and Abdurrahman bin Auf, that he himself was able to elevate in his rank very quickly because of it. Last night, we talked about the second middle phase in which the quality of his love and friendship of the Prophet ﷺ was highlighted. And we mentioned two things in particular that highlighted and exemplified this. One was that Abu Bakr was someone who never doubted the Prophet ﷺ out of his love and appreciation of the Prophet. He never doubted anything that ever came from his mouth or from his actions. And the second manifestation of this was that he never wanted any difficulty to ever reach the Prophet ﷺ, be it in battle, be it emotional, psychological, whatever, social, wherever it may be, he was particular about guarding and protecting the Prophet ﷺ from any difficulty. So that was session two and that was last night. So today we're going to transition now into his role as a leader. Because I think all of us, we play some leadership role at any given point in time. Maybe we're the leader of our family. Maybe we're the leader of the masjid. Maybe we're the leader of an organization. Maybe we're a leader at work. Many of us have that role. And the best leader, of course, after the Prophet in our in our history is, of course, Abu Bakr anhu. And so we're going to channel into this role that he played. And we're going to fast forward all the way to the weeks leading up to the death of the Prophet Because that's when we see this manifested most. We know that in the year leading up to the Prophet death, the Sahaba became aware that this was nearing the end of his time. Because there were so many inclinations toward this. So for instance, the final Hajj, the Prophet when he went for Hajj and he stood on Arafah, and he gave the speech and he mentioned that the deen has now been completed for you uh, this was an indication that you know what there's no more revelation that's going to come almost no more revelation to come and this was one of the purposes of the Prophet so the Sahaba began to think that maybe this is going to be the end there's another incident in the year leading up to the death of the Prophet or the, or, or the months leading up where he told one of his com- close companions Mu'adh bin Jabal when he was being commissioned to go toward Yemen he walked Mu'adh toward the outskirts of Medina and he told them that it's possible that you will not see me when you come back. Meaning that this may be our parting for good. And there, there's many incidents like this. But 
still the Sahaba in their own minds couldn't accept that this was even possible. Even if they suspected it could happen, and there was many indications that it were, were to happen, they couldn't fathom an existence without the Prophet It was unfathomable for them. Two weeks before the Prophet passed away, he became ill. And the illness is described in details in the books of history. Ibn Kathir, Ibn Ishaq, they mention it in detail. And it initially began with an extremely terrible headache. The Prophet came home into the house of Aisha, and she was complaining of a headache at that time. Wa ra'sa, my head, my head. And his headache had also started. And his headache was far more, dif- more severe than hers. And he said, Wa ra'sa, you're talking about your head. If you knew how much my head was hurting, then you'd know. And he developed a very severe fever, an intense fever. So the two main symptoms he had that le- eventually led to his death were a severe headache and a very high fever. And he slowly became ill and he was deteriorating. And we're not going to go over his death in detail, but in the days leading up, there reached a point where he, his fever was so high that he needed to cool himself down. And his family, Ali and Abbas, they knew what was coming. So he asked for, for instance, a tub to come from the, Hafsa, uh, the house of Hafsa and brought into the house of Aisha. And in this tub, these, his family used to take like cold water and they used to pour it over his body so that his temperature would come down. You know, sometimes we do cold rags today. This was, this was what they were doing at the time. And they were pouring cold water over his body just to bring his temperature down because it was that significant and that was that elevated. And afterward, he would clothe himself and then he would take uh, like a, a turban and he would tie it around his head, the Prophet very tightly, very tightly he would tie it around his head because the, the pain was so severe. And, you know, I've, I've seen this in my own experience in patients that have very severe headaches. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll take towels or rags and they'll say they'll just tie it as tight as possible because that's the only thing that can give them relief. Anyways, the time was coming near the, the passing of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And uh, it was now Thursday. Um, and it was Thursday evening, and the time for Isha was coming up. And the Prophet was becoming very ill, but he was still being carried toward the Musalla to member to lead. Now, Thursday evening had come. The Prophet passed away on Monday morning. So we're talking about three days, three or four days before he passed away. He, um, he gets up to try to prepare himself for the prayer. What would happen is that Bilal, every time, he would give the adhan for prayer. And after the adhan, when it came time for the iqamah, he would go to the house of Prophet which is right there. It's a few steps away. He would knock and he would let the Prophet know, Ya Rasulullah, it's time for the iqamah. Ya Rasulullah, it's time for the iqamah. So that would indicate to the Prophet to come out. So he did this, and the Prophet tried coming out, and as he was coming out, he passed out, he became unconscious. And then eventually they were able to bring him back, resuscitate him, he became awake again. Again, fever, headache, just very ill, probably probably low blood pressure as well at this point, right? Wallahu alam. And uh, he said, what happened? And he said, you know, Ya Rasulullah, you got up for the prayer and then you had passed out. So he said, oh, and then he tried, made wudu again. Then he got up to go toward leading the prayer and he passed out again. And then woke up, same thing happened. He asked what happened and they told him. He got up again to try to make wudu, made wudu, went to lead the prayer and he passed out. In the one narration, it mentions that he got up to lead the prayer seven times. He made seven attempts and he passed out seven times until he finally gave up. And it's incredible because this was the effort the Prophet was making to be able to pray the congregational prayer in the masjid. 
he was this ill and he still made this effort. You know, and, and, and we look at our own lives. I mean, for us to, we look for excuses to skip prayer even, even in our own homes, let alone getting to the masjid for it. Anyways, eventually he came to a realization that, you know what, I can no longer lead the prayer. And so he told Aisha, his wife, that, look, tell the people that push Abu Bakr toward leading the prayer. Make Abu Bakr lead the prayer. Now, Abu Bakr at the time, and this is a very strong indication toward the Prophet's expectation of who would be next in line after him. And it's a very big deal because we know in Islam, the most important role of leadership in the community is the person that leads the prayer, right? Above anyone. So it has to be someone of extreme caliber and extreme uh, uh, status. So he chose Abu Bakr and he wanted Abu Bakr to lead the prayer. And what's even more remarkable is in the 10 years that the Prophet was in Medina, in the 10 years that he was in Medina, there was not a single time where he had appointed someone else to lead the prayer if he was around. Never had it happened that the Prophet was in the vicinity of Medina Munawwara in relative proximity to the masjid and someone else was instructed to lead the prayer in 10 years. If he went somewhere, on, for instance, on an excursion somewhere, he would appoint someone. But this was the first time ever in those 10 years of being in Medina that he wanted someone else to lead the prayer. So he told Aisha, Muru Abu Bakrin, uh, Tell Abu Bakr to lead the prayer so that he can lead, uh, to, to push him forward so that he could lead the prayer. Abu Bakr happened to not be in the vicinity of the masjid at the time. The Sahaba, it's time for Isha, the Iqamah is about to be called. And so they eventually tell Umar, you go forward because you're the most qualified person here. And Umar is going forward to lead the prayer and the Prophet ﷺ comes to know of this and he becomes very upset. And he says, I said, tell Abu Bakr to lead the prayer, not Umar. He said, this is the command of Allah and his messenger. This is not something that we could just take lightly. The leadership of prayer here is not something that we could just say, whoever, whoever is there, go ahead and step forward. This is a big deal. And in particular, this is a big deal because the Prophet's alive. And in his absence, who's going to lead the prayer? It has to come from the Prophet and from Allah. So he gets upset and he says, no, tell them to find Abu Bakr and he needs to lead the prayer. So they look for Abu Bakr and they find him and they pushed him up toward leading the prayer. And that was the first prayer that he led. The last prayer the Prophet led was Maghrib of that Thursday. And Abu Bakr led it from Thursday night all the way until the passing of the Prophet That's how particular it was. So he led Thursday night, one Salah Isha. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all five Salah. So that's 15 plus one Thursday Isha, 16. Monday Fajr, 17 Salahs. He led 17 Salahs while the Prophet was alive in very close proximity to the Prophet This was the first sign of his leadership. Two incidences had occurred as well that I'm going to mention. One was when the Prophet very close to passing away, his, um, I shouldn't say that, in, 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 the, in the time leading up to his death, he went to the member and he addressed the, the, the audience. And he told them in a very deep speech, he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at this point, he wasn't very ill and they didn't know that he was going to be passing away. He said, Allah gave a choice to his servant. Allah gave a choice to his servant that he can either be in this world and enjoy its comforts or he can be with Allah. And his servant chose to be with his Lord. Prophet made the statement. He's saying it in the third person. And the Sahaba, again, it was unfathomable. It was not, they couldn't imagine a life or an Islam without the Prophet. Even if they knew it was inevitable, they couldn't imagine it. 
So when he's making this statement, Abu Sa'id mentions this narration, it's in Sahih Muslim. He said, we didn't realize who he was talking about, except one person. And from the, from the back, you could hear a person who was just weeping and crying out loud. His hand was in his face and he was just crying and crying and crying out loud. And Abu, Abu Sa'id mentions this was Abu Bakr. Because he knew what the Prophet ﷺ was saying, which was that he was the one that chose Allah and his time is very near. And the, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is crying out loud and he made a statement. He said, Ya Rasulullah, may my mother and my father be sacrificed for you. May my mother and my father be sacrificed for you. This is an expression in Arabic expressing how difficult the circumstance and dire it was. And the Prophet ﷺ tried to consult Abu Bakr because he knew that Abu Bakr knew, even though those other Sahaba didn't figure it out. And he told Abu Bakr, don't worry Abu Bakr, don't worry Abu Bakr. If I was to choose a Khalil of mine, it would have been you. Meaning indicating that you are the, the closest companion to me. Don't you worry. And you know, we mentioned the hadith yesterday and that the Prophet had mentioned, and this is toward the end of his life as well, that the Prophet said to the Sahaba that I have repaid the debt owed to me of every single one of you. But the one person whose debt I haven't been able to repay is the debt of Abu Bakr anhu. Allah Ta'ala will be repaying him. Only he can repay him for what he'd done for me, for the time that he spent, the support that he gave, the money that he uh, expensed for me, and, and, and how he was with me side by side. Only he, uh, only that reward and that recompense can only come from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So Abu Bakr anhu then leaves this Isha prayer. These incidences have occurred. And uh, the Prophet becomes very ill and very ill. And eventually, you know, Monday morning, uh, or, or leading up to Sunday, now the Sahaba begin to realize that, you know what, this is near the end of the Prophet The Sahaba from Medina, all realizing this was near the end, they all began camping out in Masjid Nabawi, which was neighboring the house of the Prophet Because they knew that, this, you know, if someone gets sick in the hospital and you're very close to that person, you want to be near them when they're passing away. And of course, the Sahaba's love for the Prophet was deeper than our love for even our own children or our own parents. So of course they wanted to be close with the Prophet. So they began camping out in Masjid Nabawi. They were just there. They just stayed there. They slept there. They ate there. They did everything there because they felt that this was near his end. Even though in their own minds, this type of life was unimaginable. Abu Bakr anhu, of course was visiting the Prophet frequently and the wives of the Prophet were around the Prophet. And then Monday morning after the Fajr prayer, there was a bit of an inclination that the Prophet's health was a little better. Just maybe a, a, a glimpse that maybe things are a little better for a little bit of time. And Abu Bakr had to take care of something at his other home, which was outside Medina, and he left. Uh, and he left Medina Munawwara. Uh, he, he left the, the main part of the city. Um, and the Prophet very quickly became ill. And this, the death of the Prophet was very detailed. There's very detailed history about this. I'm not covering it just in the interest of time. And the focus today is on Abu Bakr. But you can read and learn and hear about the death of the Prophet in detail. The Prophet becomes very ill uh, in that morning and um, he, he eventually passes away in his own home. So the Prophet passes away and as soon as he passes away, Aisha is there and she screams out loud. And uh, because this is just a shock to her, this is his wife and this is his, you know, his closest wife. Uh, the other wives come, they're there. Uh, and uh, the Sahaba hear this scream because they're right there and they all come toward the door wondering what had happened. The Prophet had passed away and, and Aisha took the, the sheet and she covered it over the body of the beloved body of the Prophet, the blessed body of the Prophet and he had now passed away. Abu Bakr he comes and hears of this 
And when he hears of this, he's now, again, not he's not right in the vicinity. He's outside. He hears of this. He's a couple of miles away, the Ranama mentioned, where his other home was. And he got on his horse and he came back as quickly as possible to the house of the Prophet And he walked, he came to Masjid Nabawi. He came straight to the house of Aisha, عنها, which is where the Prophet was staying. This was his daughter. So he had the luxury of being able to enter without without needing permission, per se. And he went straight into the home of the Prophet and he saw the body of the Prophet lying there, right? And um, he was he was covered in a cloth. And this was, of course, the, the body of his best friend and his everything. And the last 23 years of his life, at least, if not more, were just committed to the well-being and the assurance and the protection and the support of this one person. And in return, the Prophet had also given him so much. And he approaches the, the body of the Prophet and he removes the sheet and he looks at the face of the Prophet and he kneels down and he and he kisses the face of the Prophet He kisses the face of the Prophet and he sits up and, and he, he says something so beautiful. Um, he makes a few statements. Wa Khalila, like you know, my friend and my, my um, he makes a few statements like that in Arabic. And he makes a statement that's so beautiful that honestly only only a best friend could make this. Or, or only a, a, someone who truly loves a person could make this. Because, you know, when, when someone passes away, it's very difficult upon um, it, it's very difficult upon the people that are still left in this world to have to deal with it, right? Because now I'm the one who's going to be strugg- struggling and suffering and there's bereavement and there's emotions at play. Only a close friend will think about what's in the best interest of the person who passed away. Or someone who's very attached. So he tells the Prophet who's passed away, he says, Ya Rasulullah, after today, there will be no, you won't have to undergo any more difficulty ever again. You know, forget the difficulties that we as an ummah are going to have to face. After today, you won't have to face any more difficulties. Be it the difficulty of the 15 days of sickness that he had, or the difficulty of the poverty that he had to experience, Prophet or the difficulty of the torture that he had to, that he, the harassment that he had to face in his early days in Mecca, or the numerous, numerous difficulties, the difficulties of the, the pelting of the stones from Ta'if, or the difficulty of, of, of the boycott of Amul Huzn, of the year of difficulty when he had lost his wife and his uncle, he said, you won't have to face any more difficulty after today. Abu Bakr steps up and he moves away from the house and now looks into Masjid Nabawi, which is attached, and he goes there. And Masjid Nabawi and all of Medina is in utter chaos. Because now the unimaginable has now occurred. And the Sahaba's closest friend, their guide, their everything has now they've now come to some realization that this is this is different. And they couldn't bear handling this. Anas radiallahu anhu says, I mean, this is a very difficult day. Anas radiallahu anhu, he says that on this day when the when the Prophet had arrived into Medina. It was the brightest day that Medina had ever seen. And the day that the Prophet ﷺ had passed away, it was the darkest day that Medina had ever seen. The darkest day that Medina had ever seen. The Sahaba were paralyzed. Uthman radiallahu anhu, he couldn't speak. He just he couldn't move. He was just in a like a state, almost like a catatonic state, because of how moved he was by the death of the Prophet. Ali radiallahu anhu said. Ya Rasulullah, you were the one who gave us the hukum of patience and the command of being patient. And if it weren't for your command that we be patient during times like this, that we would let our tears flow so that the entire world could see. 
Anas radiallahu anhu says that on that day, or soon after the Prophet had passed away, that it was like the Sahaba, they were so paralyzed by this that they couldn't even recognize themselves in their own limbs. And of course, Umar radiallahu anhu, this is all happening right outside in the area around the house of the Prophet Umar radiallahu anhu is standing up and he has a sword in hand and he's making the statement. He's saying, don't say that the messenger has passed away. He hasn't passed away. He's in complete denial. Umar is in complete denial. He's saying, don't say that he's passed away. He hasn't passed away. He just went to meet his Lord and he's coming right back. The way that Musa went away to meet his Lord and he came back, this Prophet of Allah is doing the exact same thing. No, I swear by Allah, he's not dead. No one should say this. And if anyone says that he has passed away, then I will use the sword on that person. And he's standing up and Umar is a fierce person. I mean, he, when, when you hear a threat like that coming from Umar, it, it, it scares everyone. But he was in a state of denial. And what's amazing is this is that same Umar who at the time of Hijrah, when the Sahaba secretly all left from Mecca to Medina, every single companion secretly left from Mecca to Medina out of fear of being captured or tortured, tortured on the way because of their escape. And it was the only, the only person who publicly left was Umar. He decided that it was time for him to make hijrah and he got his stuff ready, he got his armor on, he got his stuff prepared. He went straight to the Kaaba and he made a lar- an announcement and he said to the Quraysh that I'm leaving and I'm now making the hijrah to Medina and if any one of you dare stop me, go ahead and try and see what happens. This was the, the resolve and the strength of Umar. This same Umar now can't handle the emotional difficulty of being of accepting, not not even not even uh, dealing with simply accepting the loss of the Prophet Abu Bakr in seeing all of this chaos now realize, realizes that they're in need of some sort of support and leadership so he goes to the member of the Prophet and he tells Umar who's standing there sword in hand and he tells Umar sit down Umar doesn't sit down because he just can't handle it and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu makes a few statements on the member that go down in history. He says, he makes a statement, مَنْ كَانَ يَعْبُدُ مُحَمَّدًا فَإِنَّ مُحَمَّدًا قَدْ That whoever of you, and it's amazing, you know, like the, the words of a leader are, are largely, I mean, the, the power of the words of a leader are largely dependent on the circumstance. And in this circumstance, this is what he chose to say. That for those of you that worshipped Muhammad, know that Muhammad وسلم, has most certainly died. We have to accept it. That, but whoever worshipped Allah, whoever worships Allah, whoever worships Allah, know that Allah Ta'ala is forever living and forever uh, uh, everlasting. Right? Reminding them that, look, the Prophet of Allah was a prophet ultimately. And he was a human being just like the rest of us and his time was going to come. Although we loved him, although we were passionate about serving him, ultimately this was a human being who was a prophet of Allah. We weren't worshipping him. And that being that we were worshipping Allah Ta'ala, he's never going to die. What are we all worried about? What are we all worried about? We have Allah Ta'ala and he will never die. We will die before anything ever happens to Allah. We will, we will leave this world before anything, nothing will ever happen, but no, so most certainly our death is, is, is going to come. 
And he said, إِنَّكَ مَيِّتُونَ وَإِنَّهُمْ مَيِّتُونَ Verily, you, he mentioned the verse of the Qur'an that verily you, O Messenger of Allah, will die and everyone else will pass away. And then he recited the verse of the Qur'an. It's so beautiful because this is what comes to his mind. He says, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ He makes reference to a verse that the Prophet ﷺ himself had told the Sahaba about. That verily Allah, the Prophet of Allah is nothing but a messenger. قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلِ And many other messengers have come before. If he dies or he's killed, right? Allah Ta'ala is asking the Sahaba in this verse, if he dies or he's killed, in Are you going to fall back upon your heels? Are you going to collapse from underneath yourself? Because the Prophet of Allah, who's ultimately just a messenger, has now passed. And he reminds them of this verse. And what's amazing is that one, one historical narration mentions that when Umar heard Abu Bakr making this, saying this verse, he said it was as if this was the first time the verse was ever revealed. And as he heard this, he was standing up and his legs from underneath him just collapsed. And he fell to his knees because it was at that moment that he realized that truly the Messenger of Allah وسلم, had passed away. So Abu Bakr stood, to, stood for leadership in this time of extreme difficulty for the Ummah. The first few hours after the Prophet وسلم, passing away, it was Abu Bakr that stood forth and, and took the burden of responsibility on his own shoulders. This is someone who loved the Prophet more than any other Sahabi. This is someone who supported the Prophet more than any other Sahabi. This was someone who, uh, who, who, who was with the Prophet physically more than any other Sahabi, except maybe his wife. And yet this is the person who's reminding everyone, despite all this, that look, ultimately he was a messenger. We have our Allah and he's never going to go. We knew he was going to go. This doesn't remove the responsibility on our shoulders. And he's saying this to a community of people. There were, there were Muslims at the time. When the Prophet had passed away, they had left Islam. So you see the responsibility on his, on his shoulders. So moving forward, within the first few hours of the Prophet passing away, a group from the Ansar, they left from that area and they went to a garden called Saqifah Banu Sa'ada. This is a garden that is in Medina Munawwara. You can actually visit it today. It's a beautiful garden. They've, they've preserved it. It's essentially in the northwest corner of Masjid Nabawi. So, for instance, the marble area in the, when you're facing the Qibla, the marble area to the back right, toward the right of it, just in front of the Move and Pick Hotel, there's a garden there called Saqifah Banu Sa'idah. This is a garden that's still preserved to this day. The Ansar went and collected in this space, and they discussed amongst themselves that, look, we cared for the Prophet it's time for us to support him by appointing a leader. And they decided amongst themselves that we're going to appoint a leader by the uh, appoint the leader Saad ibn Ubada. Now Saad ibn Ubada was a very well-known Sahabi. This was a Sahabi who was the leader of the tribe of Khazraj of Medina, the two main tribes, Aus and Khazraj. He was the leader of the Khazraj tribe, and he was a very close companion of the Prophet and very qualified to be a leader. Uh, he was a companion who, in any battle. He would, the Prophet would give the flag of the Ansar to Sa'ad ibn Ubada. So we see his status. So they said he should be the, the leader. Abu Bakr heard about this meeting happen, happening, and he took two companions with him and said, we need to be a part of this meeting as well. And they left from Masjid Nabawi, again the same day. The Prophet not even buried yet. Right? This is just within a few hours. He took Umar in one hand, he took Abu Ubaidah in the other hand, and he rushed them toward Saqifah ibn Sa'idah, and he said, we need to be a part of this meeting. And they joined in on this meeting. So one of the Ansar is mentioning that how Sa'ad should be the leader, etc. And Umar is sitting here listening to this, and he's thinking, and he's, he's becoming upset. He's saying, how are we even having this discussion? 
the undisputed leader of our ummah is Abu Bakr. He's thinking this in his own mind. But he waits for this Ansari to finish, and after he sits down, he wants to stand up and make statements in supporting the leadership of Abu Bakr. And Abu Bakr, as he sees Umar furious and upset, getting to, ready to stand up, he tells Umar, sit down, sit down. Like, now's not the right time for this. They're dealing with the loss of the Prophet They're dealing with the loss of a leader. They, they're obviously doing things in their best interest. You sit down. We don't want, you know, don't say something that you shouldn't be saying. Umar narrates this hadith. So he says that Abu Bakr stood up and he began speaking. And he was so eloquent in his speech in this meeting of the Shura meeting that Abu Umar says, it was good that I didn't come up. Because he said whatever he, every point that I wanted to make, Abu Bakr made it, but he said it even more eloquently than I could have made it. So a few statements Abu Bakr made in this meeting, and he reminded the Ansar that, oh Ansar, don't forget that the Prophet when he was alive mentioned that the leaders of this Ummah should come from the Quraysh. From, come from the Quraysh. That he, he mentioned this. Um, and he told Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, who was sitting there, he told Sa'ad, he's like, Sa'ad, you were there, you were right in front when the Prophet was on the member and he made this statement and the leaders are from the Quraysh. And Sa'ad's listening very humbly and he's saying, yes, sadaqta, sadaqta, you're saying the truth, you're saying the truth. نحن الوزراء وأنتم الأمراء That we are the supporters and you are the, you guys are the leaders. The Quraysh, you, you should be from the leaders. He accepted this. So Abu Bakr made many statements. He actually started the speech off by praising the Ansar and saying so many positive things about them, which is amazing, right? I mean, he, he has in mind that maybe they shouldn't be from the leaders. But he doesn't start by saying, what's wrong with you people? The Prophet was clear in mentioning that the Quraysh are the ones who are supposed to be the leaders. And we have very qualified Quraysh that should be from the leaders. He starts off instead by praising them and saying, you took care of the Prophet when no one was there. You took care of him and took him into your home, into your city, when no one else was around. He's giving him a lot of praise. But you also were there when he made the statement, which is that the Quraysh from a, be from amongst the leaders, and Sa'ad accepted. So Abu Bakr, at the conclusion of his speech, says that because of this, I think, and he took the hand of Umar and, and raised it, and the hand of Abu, and Abu Ubaidah, and said, these two individuals are the most qualified that I can think of. Pick whomever you want from these two people, one of these two people should become the Amir and the leader. And uh, there was a little bit of commotion afterward. And Umar radiallahu anhu, he's looking at this. It's like a, to him, it's like a spectacle. Abu Bakr? He's saying, I should be a leader? Or Abu Ubaidah? Or even the Ansar are saying, it's, there's no doubt in our minds that this is the greatest companion and the closest friend. And he was the one that led prayer for the last 17 salahs. The Prophet made many clear isharas and indications that he should be the leader. So he takes the hand of Abu Bakr and he grabs his hand instead. And he says, Abu Bakr should be the leader. All of us should give bay'ah to him. There's no one that's more qualified for this position than Abu Bakr. And he immediately took the hand of Abu Bakr. He gave him bay'ah. Abu Ubaidah gave him bay'ah. And then the Sahaba that were there gave Abu Bakr bay'ah. And they made him the leader. This happened in Saqifah Banu Sa'idah. So now Abu Bakr has been appointed the leader. The following day, right, keep track of the days. The Prophet died on Monday morning between Fajr and Dhuhr. And it was not right after Fajr, it was when the sun had risen and the heat had already started coming down. That's what the narration mentions. And now it's and that was the twelfth of Rabi'ul Awal. The twelfth of Rabi'ul Awal. So now the thirteenth day, Tuesday afternoon around Dhuhr time, before Dhuhr, he's not yet been buried. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and Umar are in Masjid Nabawi. And Umar radiallahu anhu before uh, the Dhuhr prayer goes to the member. And he stands up and he makes a statement. And he says to the Sahaba, 
that yesterday the statements that I made were not true. Meaning, what did he say yesterday? He said, I swear by Allah, the Prophet has not passed away. So now 24 hours has settled in and he's realized the reality of the situation. And Abu Bakr is now the leader. He says, I made a mistake yesterday. I, what I said yesterday was not true. Indeed, the Prophet has most certainly passed away. But we have before us the greatest follower and example after the Prophet This is of course none other than Abu Bakr. And he put Abu Bakr onto the member and he had Abu Bakr address the Sahaba. So this is now the first address of Abu Bakr to the Sahaba after his assuming the role essentially of the Prophet ﷺ in terms of leadership, not in terms of nubuwa, risala, but in terms of leadership. And he is appointed with giving a speech. And it's an incredible speech. And, and I'm just going to read the speech because it's actually recorded in Al-Bidayah wa Nihaya, the, the actual speech. It's very short. You know, most leaders, when they give their initial speech, the inaugural speech, it's like 40 minutes long or 30 minutes, and you're wondering when they're going to end. Point after point after point. And they make points and they'll knock on their prior leader or they'll say something negative and they'll usually try to boost their own agendas. Look at the humility of Abu Bakr. This is what he says. O people, I have been appointed over you, though I am not the best among you. This is his opening statement. The Sahaba know he's the best. Unanimously, they all know he's the best. He starts by saying, O oh people, I have been appointed over you, though I am not the best among you. There are more worthy or righteous people from the gathering that should be here instead, but this is who you guys have assigned. If I do well, then help me. And if I act wrongly, then correct me. Amazing. Amazing. If I do well, then help me. Meaning, if I'm on the right, support me. But if I'm doing wrong, don't be hesitant. Don't be reluctant to tell me that I'm doing something wrong and make it a point to correct me. Truthfulness is synonymous with fulfilling the trust and lying is equivalent to treachery. Again, highlighting the importance of truth and uh, the importance of avoiding cheating and lying. The weak among you is deemed strong by me until I return to them that which is rightfully theirs. And the strong among you is deemed weak by me until I take from them what is rightfully someone else's. Incredible. What he's saying essentially is that most leaders, they hang in the, they're in the upper class of society. And they tend to care for the needs of the upper class. Although lip service says that I'm going to take care of the people that are in the lower class and those that are destitute and poor and I'm with them. But even if they do that and occasionally they'll make some public appearance at some soup kitchen or they'll show up at a uh, Tim Hortons and pretend to be the cashier or whatever, you know, ultimately they're still hanging out in the upper echelons of society. The balls and the gatherings and the dinners and the banquets and, you know, and, and the, the tax breaks. Ultimately, it's for the people that already are in the upper class. Abu Bakr is saying the people that are with me are the people that are low in their class until they become in the upper class. Once they reach that status, they're now separated from me. And the people that are other in the upper class, until they reach the point of where they're where they're on the lower end, that's when they that's when they become from me. Meaning, I'm here to take care of those people that need help most. This, being the leader of the ummah, I'm here to support these individuals. No group of people abandons struggle in the path of Allah except that Allah Taala makes them suffer humiliation. And evil mischief does not become widespread among a people except that Allah Taala makes uh, except that Allah inflicts them with widespread calamity. 
Obey me so long as I obey Allah and his messenger. And if I disobey Allah and his messenger, then I have no right to your obedience. And then he asked them to give the iqama. So this was the entire inaugural speech of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now, during the reign of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, many good things happened. He was, Allah, and we're not going to cover these in detail, he was uh, Khalifa for two years. Right? He was Khalifa for just two years, and in that time, he was able to enforce zakat upon the community. The first compilation of the Qur'an was occurred during his reign as well. There was a battle called Yamama, and many Huffaz had passed away. Huffaz had passed away. And the Sahaba were concerned that if the people in whose hearts is the Qur'an, the Qur'an is recorded, if they pass away, we're going to lose the Qur'an. Right? We need to preserve it. So Umar had eventually convinced Abu Bakr to preserve the Qur'an. And Ali radiallahu anhu later says, May Allah have mercy on Abu Bakr. He was the one who placed the Qur'an between two covers first. He preserved it in, in that form. Um, and during his leadership, he had influences on every subsequent leader that came. You know, if we look at our history and ask who was the greatest leader after the Prophet ﷺ, meaning, I shouldn't say we, who does history record, even Orientalists record, as the greatest leader? And there's some agreement that it was Umar anhu. I think you know, Imam Munir mentioned this yesterday too or two days ago. Um, he was just a brilliant leader. For 10 years, what the, what the Islamic empire was able to accomplish in terms of social services and in terms of welfare for society, Umar anhu was undisputed in history. Not in history of Islam, in history, period. And everyone accepts this. This is in history. But much of what he learned in terms of qualities of leadership came from Abu Bakr anhu. I'm going to mention one incident and then we'll, be, we'll conclude, inshallah. One incident that occurred just to show how particular Abu Bakr was despite being the leader. There was one incident that occurred where the community, the uh, Baytul Mal, had received a significant donation and contribution. So they had a lot of money they needed to distribute. And they made an announcement in Masjid Nabawi. Abu Bakr had an announcement made to the city of Medina that there's wealth that has come in. And if you're needing of it, meaning if you're poor, then come and take your wealth. Umar and Abu Bakr were standing there ready to distribute this wealth. Now, a lot of the Sahaba and a lot of the people of Medina rushed toward Masjid Nabawi and they came straight. And they were in need of the wealth and they came straight toward it. And you can imagine, you know, if there's like a hurricane or, or a flood and there's, you know, water bottles being distributed, there's a huge crowd of people and they're just doing whatever they can because they're thinking about what their needs are for themselves and their family. One man had come and he came very close and Abu Bakr who pushed him back. He pushed him away. Because he wanted this process of distribution to be orderly. So he pushed that individual back. And he had everybody lined up in a row, in a, in a line. And one by one people start coming. And Umar is looking at the face of Abu Bakr and Abu Bakr is very upset with himself. Very upset with himself. He could tell from his face that something was wrong. One by one people are coming and taking their wealth, taking their wealth, taking their wealth. This man that he had pushed away comes and Abu Bakr sees him. And he tells this person, he says, Buribni, hit me. Hit me back. Incredible. Abu Bakr didn't hit him. It wasn't intentional. He had physically moved him out of the way because he wanted to be fair to everyone else. But he thought in his own mind that I probably harmed this person. And despite me being the leader who has this responsibility, I still can't imagine ever bringing harm to another person, especially if they're underneath my leadership. Umar is looking at Abu Bakr and he's like, what? You're telling this person to hit you. And he says that if you allow this to happen, Abu Bakr, then this is going to be the precedent moving forward. If any leader even 
unintentionally gently oppresses another person, then they're all going to, the people are going to think they have a right to come back and hurt the other person back. He said, you can't do this. What kind of standard will we be setting for the future? Abu Bakr says, Lurabni. And even the man who, had, who was pushed back looks at Abu Bakr like, what are you talking about? I've never seen this before. Umar says to Abu Bakr, Umar, uh, Abu, yeah, Abu Bakr, why have him hit you? What's the point of this? What precedent will it set? Why don't instead you just give him money from your own wealth, not from the Baytul Mal, give him from your own wealth as a recompense for this. So Abu Bakr looks at the person and said, would that be okay with you? And Umar's like, this will be beneficial for him. What's he going to get from hitting you? He's a poor man. He needs money. Just give him your money. Abu Bakr asked the man, would this be okay? The man said, yeah, that would be okay. So Abu Bakr went, he got money from his own wealth and he gave it to this individual uh, and, 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 and he wanted to settle the deal on the spot. This was the, the leader of the Ummah. You know, it's hard to find leaders like this today, but this exemplifies how particular he was about taking care of people and never harming anyone. There's other incidences. There's one very famous one, but I think in the interest of time, we'll, we'll hold off on it. We're just going to conclude now with the final days of the life of Abu Bakr anhu. Abu Bakr anhu became very ill 15 days before his passing. And his illness ironically resembled the final days of the Prophet as well. And why wouldn't it? Um, about two weeks before, he, had a, he developed a very high fever. And in his case, he actually knew that his time was coming near an end. Uthman came to Abu Bakr and he said to Abu Bakr, should we call the tabib, the doctor, to come and check on you? And he said, what's the point of this doctor coming and seeing me when the doctor of the world, meaning like when, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already declared what's going to happen. I already know what's going to happen. What's the utility at this point? He has a very high fever and one by one, he starts inviting people to come into his home. And he starts doing mashwara with them about who the next leader should be. And he has in his own mind that the next leader should be Umar. But he doesn't want to just unanimously declare this, but he brings many companions into the room. Abu Ubaidah, Abdurrahman bin Awf, Uthman bin Affan, Talha. And essentially every single person he comes in while he's sick in his room and he says, I was thinking that Umar would be the next leader. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And every single companion agreed that Umar is the most qualified, except maybe one had some hesitation, and it was Talha. And it wasn't hesitation that he would be a good leader, but a personality issue. So, and it was very subtle. But ultimately, Abu Bakr responded to that concern, and, and that was it. They were ready to accept. One companion mentioned to Abu Bakr that most certainly Umar is the right person. What we know, he's better than even what we know about him. Meaning his status and his private life is even better than what we know about him. He should most certainly be the leader. Abu Bakr calls Umar into his room. This is the deathbed of Abu Bakr. And he says to Umar, you know, you should be the next leader. Umar who hears this and he's like, no way, <laughs> not me. Look, we got to remember, the Sahaba weren't fighting for leadership. They weren't trying to become leaders. This was not them. There's a hadith of the Prophet It's a very unique hadith. He says, that if we, if you, meaning it's us, if we seek the role of leadership, meaning ourselves, we think I'll be a good leader and I need to be a leader. Know that the people will turn away from you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will turn against you as well. If we ourselves think that we should be the president of this or we should be the, you know, the leader of this or that, if we think in our own mind that we're qualified, then that's a problem because the people will turn against us and Allah will turn us, but against us. But then Prophet said that but if we're encouraged and appointed toward leadership, that's a different story, then you will be supported. Um, 
So this was the case of Abu Bakr too. He didn't want to be leader, but he was appointed leader. And Umar was like, no, 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 I, I, this is, I can't do this. I'm not the right person. But Umar, Abu Bakr co- convinced him and he sat with him and he talked to him and he said he did mashwara. And he, for an extended period of time, he had a discussion with him. And eventually Umar said, okay, I've accepted this role. So then once he accepts this role, and it's just a private conversation between the two of them. Abu Bakr then gives advice to Umar. And I'm going to conclude with this because I think this is just incredible advice. He gives advice to Umar, and I think this can apply to all of us in our own leadership roles because the greatest leader was Abu Bakr, and now he's giving advice to who we think is the next greatest leader, was Umar. What advice does he possibly have for him? And he gives him two or three pieces of advice, and he says to him privately, number one, fear Allah and your matters always. Always have taqwa and have fear for Allah Ta'ala because if you have a fear of Allah Ta'ala, then you can't go wrong as a leader. Second point he mentions, and this is really deep, he says to Umar, Allah is owed worship at night that cannot be performed during the day. And Allah is owed worship during the day that cannot be performed at night. Amazing. Allah is owed worship at night, meaning qiyam, tahajjud, is owed worship at night that cannot occur during the day. That's not something that happens during the day. And he's owed worship during the day, which means serving and caring for the people that cannot be done at night because they're asleep. Incredible. What he's saying is that and, and it's a lesson for all of us that if we think that we have the right to have some role of leadership or even if we're appointed the leadership, be it the leader of an organization or we're the leader of a masjid or we're the leader of some other, you know, some other responsibility, we have some leadership role. It can't be that we are ignoring the night prayer. It can't be that I'm not, a con- I'm not consistent in waking up in the middle of the night and begging from Allah Ta'ala. He's owed this worship that can't be performed during the day. If I feel, I mean, that should, if, I, if this is missing from my life, then I should give up every leadership role because I can't even fulfill this bare minimum qiyam toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If I can't establish this in my life, how am I supposed to establish deen or benefit of deen to the rest of the ummah? I can't do it. I can't even fight. I can't even battle my own bed at night. And he says, Allah's worshipped, uh, old worship during the day, meaning the affairs of people that can't be done at night. And then he gives one final advice, which essentially is live between fear and hope. Don't be so fearful that, we th- that you think that you're destined toward Jahannam. Have hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept your deeds and put you in, Jahannam, in, in Jannah. But also don't be so um, ignorant thinking that Jannah is a guarantee for me. Recognize that even though you have hope for Jannah, and inshallah Allah will put you in Jannah, recognize that there's a possibility of Jahannam and always have a little bit of fear for that as well. So he gives him his advice. Abu Bakr al-Anhu, he uh, Monday morning arrives and he's 63 years old. 63 years old, the same age as the Prophet Sallallahu his best friend and companion. He's 63 years old, Monday arrives. He doesn't know, it's, he, he wants to verify He's in the house with his daughter Aisha and he asks Aisha, Aisha, what day of the week is it? What day of the week is it? She says, uh, it's Monday. He said, inshallah by tonight. Inshallah before tonight. Because he wanted to follow even the sunnah of the Prophet them in terms of the day of passing away. Inshallah by tonight this will happen. The, in the room there was kafan. The, the, the shrouding of burial and it was like on a shelf and he told Aisha uh, when it's time to bury me use that coffin over there it was used pieces of cloth there were stains on it and she says to her father oh Abu Bakr uh, or, or father 
why would we use this? There's stains on it. You know, everyone else uses brand new kafan, right? Brand new sheets that have never been touched, that have been dipped in zamzam. Why don't we use that kafan? Why do you want to use this? He says, subhanAllah, just again, this this leader, the leader, this is the leader speaking here. He said, the people who are alive have more of a right over this clothing. What's the use for me? Give me the clothing that's already been used. People who are alive have more of a right over clothing than I do. Give me the one that's already been used. So he passes away uh, that day, Monday. It was Jumad uh, al-Akhir, the second. So it wasn't it wasn't al-Awwal, but Jumad al-Thani. He passed away on a Monday. He was 63 years old, um, and uh, and this was the this was the life of Abu Bakr radhiyallahu anhu. So, you know, hopefully we can all take back some personal lessons from these leadership years of his life. Most certainly from the entire uh, three 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 phases of his life that we've mentioned. There will never be another person, another leader, another follower of the Prophet ﷺ like Abu Bakr. We'll never see it again. And, you know, sometimes we, we think, you know, uh, it, 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 it's amazing that we, we, we still have the opportunity to interact with the Prophet ﷺ Abu Bakr today. You know, at least the ability to visit these people. And they, and they deserve a visit from us. We know the Prophet ﷺ deserves a visit from us. But even Abu Bakr, because of the contributions that he made and the leadership role that he carried afterward to bring Islam to, 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 to us today and the establishment of deen today, I mean, it, hopefully our visits to him moving forward will be slightly different than the ones before and we can truly thank him for the sacrifices that he made and the efforts that he made. And, uh, you know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to meet him one day and allow us to spend time in his company in Jannah and allow him to sit here and address all of us rather than you know, us having to talk about him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala place us in the highest uh, gardens of Jannah with the company of the Siddiqin like Abu Bakr anhu and the Nabiyyin like the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to accept, uh, to allow us to inculcate his teachings, allow us to take his example in our own life. May Allah ta'ala allow us to guide and facilitate deen for people in the way that Abu Bakr anhu facilitated deen for people. May Allah ta'ala allow us to take care of the oppressed and the enslaved the way Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu took care of the enslaved and the oppressed may Allah ta'ala allow us to become true followers and lovers of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and may he protect us from ever being a source of difficulty for the Prophet sallallahu in this life or in the hereafter may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to uh, become leaders uh, of, of deen that resemble the leadership of Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from pride and arrogance and ever looking down upon people that we do have some responsibility over and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the, the, a death that resembles the death of the Prophet and the death that resembles the death of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen